Hi, welcome to Challenge Online. I'm so excited you're here with us. Even though we're not together in person, I long to get back together to pack out Sylvester's Cafe, the BMU Auditorium someday, and just worshiping Jesus together. There's nothing like it. I, it doesn't compare to watching even Hillsong United on YouTube. There's nothing that can compare to us being together and fellowshipping with each other. So I really do long to be with you. But God has been moving. God has been changing lives through this quarantine season. In the last few weeks, we've seen at least three people pray to receive Christ. Can I get a hallelujah in the comments? Maybe an amen if you can spell hallelujah. I'm proud of you. But just let's celebrate what God's doing and let's lean in to make the most of this opportunity that God has for us to grow deeper in our walks with God and to spread the gospel to as many people as possible. So join me in praying as I jump into what I have to share with you. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to be together, to gather together in this way. And I pray that you would guide my words. You would fill me with your Holy Spirit. You would help us to really attune to what you have to say to us individually. Lord, speak to us. Change us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of my message is Integrity, Who You Are When No One Is Looking. I remember reading a book a few years ago by that exact title. It was a great book, Integrity, Who You Are When No One Is Looking. The only problem was the guy that wrote that book ended up was living a double life. He was not living what he wrote about, what he wrote so eloquently about, he was not living out in his life. And I remember also coming across this other Christian leadership book, and it had these profiles of these mega church pastors, these guys that were leading thousands of people to Christ, and it was all about how you can get the it factor in ministry, how you could get momentum, how you could reach more people and do more ministry work. And what I discovered, I loved that book when I first read it, but then what I discovered years later, it's been about five or six years since I read that book, over half of those men, those pastors, those mega church pastors that had the it factor had been disqualified from ministry. They had sinned, they lived a double life, they got into sexual sin, they got involved in alcohol, other things that took them out spiritually. And so integrity is one of those things that can get any of us. And so when we hear stories about these even mega church pastors, people writing books and falling away, it can be easy for us to be smug and self-confident about it and almost judge them. Because what I've discovered is that hypocrisy is one of the things that we hate the most in others, but we also tolerate the most in ourselves. And so I want us to, before we look at others and judge them for having hypocrisy and a lack of integrity, we first need to look at our own hearts. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. The reality is, most of us have a gap from who we let others think we are to who we really are. And that is called hypocrisy. And it is so easy for us, even as Christians, to play the spiritual game. Play. I learned when I was in youth group and growing up, how to say the right 
Sunday school answers, how to act a certain way when I was around my church friends, but then turn around and be something completely different when I was alone or when I was around a different set of friends. And this is the thing that in the New Testament, in, in the life of Christ, this was the thing that made Jesus the most angry. It ticked him off. He said this one time, he said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You look like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. This was one of the sickest burns in the history of humanity. He, Jesus was saying that you need to stay far, far away from these Pharisees. Now, whitewashed tombs in the Bible times was not the purpose of whitewashing a tomb, where they basically painted it and made it look nice. It did look nice, but the real purpose of a whitewashed tomb was to show people to avoid that. And because ceremonially, ceremonially in, that, in that time, the Jewish people could not go near a dead body or a tomb. If they touched a tomb or went near a tomb, they were ceremonially unclean. And so that meant that they couldn't go worship in the temple. And so the whitewashed tombs were there. They did look, look nice, but they were also to say, keep away. It would have been the equivalent of a yellow caution tape. Stay far away. And so Jesus was saying about these Pharisees, these hypocrites, to stay far away from people that look good on the outside, but in the inside they're full of rottenness and they're dead and they're, they're spiritually dead on the inside. And so this is what we want to avoid. We want to be one person no matter where we are. I want to challenge you. Be one person no matter whether you're alone and no one else is looking, or whether you're around your challenge friends, or whether you're just with your other non-Christian friends. You want to be one person. Integrity means what you see is what you get, and what you say is what you do. Integrity actually means that someone could have a spy cam on you 24-7 and you wouldn't be embarrassed. Besides when you're singing in the shower or other <laughs> little goofy things. I, there's a few things like that that I do. They're not wrong, but they're embarrassing. And here's an integrity test for you. If we had a watch party just like this, we, everyone got on their computers and we had the comments going, people were making comments, and we watched your every thought and every action for a single day, how many of us would have to just start over with all of our friends? We would be so embarrassed if we had a watch party with your thoughts, with your actions, with your attitudes, because a lot of us, if we're honest, we have a lot of things that need work in our lives. I thought of another slightly humorous way to put this. I, rem I remember thinking when I was scrolling down Facebook one time, and I remember having some like pretty bad thoughts about someone. I, I thought, this guy's a tool. <laughs> I know, I shouldn't admit this on, on camera. But I, I had these thoughts. What if every thought that you had while you were scrolling through social media automatically made a comment? That would be so bad. But I think that shows just how sinful and how much work we need to grow in our own thought lives, our holiness, our attitudes. It reminds me of the movie Liar Liar. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, Jim Carrey movie, old movie, but it's really funny in, on, on a movie, in a movie, but in reality, it would be devastating. 
if everyone knew who you really were. And But the truth is, is that God sees every thought, every attitude in your life. He pierces straight in. And this is what it says. Jesus said this. He said, Jesus turning first to his disciples and warned them, Beware the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. The time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to all. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. Dear friends, do not be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after that. But I tell you whom to fear. Fear God, who has the power to kill you and throw you into hell. Yes, he is the one to fear. Luke 12, 1-5. So you can fool most people most of the time. But you can, fool, you can fool God none of the time. You never can fool God. On the day of judgment, you will stand before Jesus. And actually, you will give an account for every thought, every word, every idle word that we are spoken. We will be totally exposed in that moment. We will stand before God, and we will have to give an account. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5.10 So American Christians and most Christians don't teach this, that even as believers, we will be judged by God. We will stand before Jesus and give an account for our words and our deeds. That's because we have such a simplistic theology. We don't like to get into... Okay, well, our salvation is purchased by Jesus on the cross, but our actions are actually judged, and our rewards, our eternal rewards, are based on what we do in this life. We just, that boggles our mind, and a lot of us are just so simplistic that we don't even like to think about such things. But the problem with that thinking is it's not biblical, and it's a major theme in the New Testament. Read the letters to Paul, and you'll discover that this is a major theme. Rewards in heaven and standing before Jesus and him being able to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. And not only does Jesus judge our attitudes and, and our actions, he, he judges our very motives for why we do what we do. And so we have to be pure in heart and we have to do the right things as well. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. So the Bible repeatedly says that we will stand before God and be judged by not only our actions, but our motives. And I came across this great video by one of my favorite authors, Randy Alcorn, and we're going to check it out. He explains a little bit more of what this means to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and how that should apply to our lives. Well, it should affect us dramatically because uh, 2 Peter 3 talks about the fact that uh, in light of the destruction of this old world that's going to come at the return of Christ, in light of the new heavens and the new earth he has promised, it says what sort of people ought we to be yeah. now in terms of life and godliness? Well, if you know where you've come from, you know God's intention in Eden and the fall and how sin brought destruction to the world. 
And you know that Jesus Christ has in the present era redeemed and saved you. And you know that in the future you're going to live in this perfect world, the home of righteousness, then you want to get a head start now on living righteously. You want to live out the reality of the redemption, the redemption that Christ has accomplished, not just in the world and will accomplish, but what he has done in your heart and your soul. You also know in terms of the continuity of this life and the next, because if we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, as we will, each of us, even as believers, it means... You know, Randy Alcorn is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, giving account of the life I have lived right now and am living right now as Randy Alcorn. So I don't look at this life and say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. It'll all come out in the wash. I mean, since Jesus died for all my sins, I may as well sin today. And you know what? If I did righteous things, I mean, what difference would it make? I can't earn my salvation by righteousness anyway. You know, and, and we can think short term, and this is what we end up doing. If we don't think in terms of eternity, don't think in terms of the judgment seat of Christ, don't think of giving an account of our lives, we're far more prone to waste it because why does my time matter anyway? But God says, redeem the time. Why does money matter anyway? I may, may as well just spend it all on myself. Well, that's the attitude of someone who's acting as if this world under the curse were their home. No, don't live for this temporary residence. Anything that you accumulate here, you're going to leave behind. Live for your eternal home. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, Jesus said, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. They'll never perish. And when you die, you'll go to be where your treasure is instead of when you die, you're leaving behind your treasures. I'll admit, this is... A heavy topic and this is a confusing topic because we know that our salvation is based by grace through faith look up Ephesians 2 8 and 9 it is for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it is a gift of God not by works so that no one can boast so our salvation is not by works but our rewards are and so that's something I would encourage you to study there's some suggested resources I have it's the law of rewards by Randy Alcorn and Systematic Theology Podcast by Wayne Grudem. You can go deeper into this topic, and I think it'll really help you in your life. So sin has a way of exposing itself. Sin has a way of not only affecting your eternal rewards, but it also has a way of ruining this life. And so whether or not you're ever found out by your sin in this life, there will be consequences, and there is effects, even for a believer. But actually, I've never seen a sin that I've committed <laughs> that I actually got away with, in, even in this life. Proverbs 11.25, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. I love that passage because I don't love it because it scares me, <laughs> but I love it because it talks about the benefits of integrity. Is the integrity of the upright guides them. So integrity not only guides you, it protects you. It helps you live in a way that you are really able to move forward and it gives you guardrails to walk on. It gives you a, a path to take and it helps you actually make wise decisions as you walk through life. But if you lack integrity, your duplicity will destroy you. So how do you develop integrity in your life? Here's, here's how. 
how to develop integrity, learn to fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 1.7 I've heard some people talk about fearing the Lord, and they say, well, really, it just means respect. It just means we should honor, it, honor God and respect God, and they try to almost soften what it means to fear the Lord. But really, the fear of the Lord is more like how you fear or respect a king that could just kill you with a wave of his hand. God loves you, and God is for you, but he could kill you. Remember in the early church, in the book of Acts, and Ananias and Sapphira, they lied about how much money they gave. They sold their house, and they kept some of the money, but they came to the apostles, they came to Peter, and they said, hey, we sold our house, and we're giving you all of our money. So they just did what they, in their own mind, was just a little sin. And read it in the book of Acts, God killed them on the spot. This was such a heavy thing. These believers that were kind of trying to do a right thing, but they had mixed motives, is God killed them on the spot. Read the Bible. God is terrifying. If you read the Bible, God is holy, and God is someone that we should be afraid of. And he should be someone that we really respect and awe, but that we'll get to later. He really loves us also. Acts 5.11, this is after Ananias and Sapphira died. It said, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard of these events. So this was actually a good thing, that God killed these people and showed his church that he needed to be taken seriously. He needed to be awed, and he needed to be feared and respected. And it actually helped the early church find purity in the midst of intense persecution. And then God used that to multiply around the known world. So don't mess with God. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you'll be cut off. Romans 11:22. The fear of the Lord is another topic that most American Christians don't hear taught very much. But it is such a key. It says the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You can't love God without fearing God. And God loves you so much that he will discipline his followers. God will discipline you just like when Owen or Evelyn acts up, I put them in time out or I discipline them in some way that gets their attention because I want them to grow up to be obedient, healthy, happy people. And I want them to be responsible, loving adults. And God wants the same for you. God loves you so much that he's not gonna let you stay stuck in your sin. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Hebrews 12, 5-8. So discipline is actually God's way of loving you because sin is the most destructive thing in your life. And so it's a promise from God. If you compromise, if you lie, if you do things, if you live a double life, God, and you are actually a follower of Christ, God will discipline you to shape you, get you back into shape, get you back on the path of righteousness. 
I've seen this play out in my life over and over again. I am pretty stubborn and rebellious, and so I go off on sin, and God smacks me back into place. I've also seen this happen in other people's lives that really got in in deep into sin, and some things that were happening to them, like, man, I don't even really like to think about. But then I've also seen God use that discipline that he allowed in that person's life to bring them back and restore them gloriously. And so God can take you, if you're struggling in sin, he can take you right now and restore you and forgive you. And, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So we need to actually respect God for who he is and honor him with our lives. Isaiah 66 two, I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts who tremble at my word. Have you ever read something in the Bible and it made you literally tremble? It made you shake. It freaked you out. That's what this is saying. It's saying we should be respect and awe of God and have a reality of who God is when we read the Bible that we have an emotional response. We have a real response. Fearing God means it changes the way we live and it changes our hearts because Jesus comes into our life and he changes our hearts. I immediately think of Joseph when I think of this concept of integrity And I picture this one scene that happened to him. He was in Potiphar's house, and he was sold into slavery. He was a slave of a guy named Potiphar, which is basically one of the top dogs in the Egyptian empire at the time. He was very wealthy. And Potiphar's wife started, checked out Joseph and said, man, this guy, he looks good. And she just kept pursuing him. She was relentlessly trying to get with Joseph. And she said, come to bed with me, come to bed with me. And I used to read this and think, of course he's not going to do it because he's a good guy and good guys don't do stuff like that. But then I thought about it. Like Joseph was single. Joseph was young, a young man. Joseph was sold into slavery. He had every reason to feel sorry for himself. And it was Potiphar's wife. So he was probably, she was probably attractive. And he probably was actually very tempted. And she was relentless. But this is what Joseph's response was. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her and even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in his hand and ran out of the house. I want you to notice a phrase in here. It says, how could I do this wicked thing and sin against God? From an earthly standpoint, he could have totally gotten away with sleeping with her. He could have got away with it. And notice he didn't say, do this wicked thing against Potiphar. He said, do this wicked thing against God. He was concerned with offending God, not offending anyone else. Of course, he knew it was wrong towards others, but he had this holy fear of God that kept him safe and actually caused him to grow in his influence and in his impact in life. And so if you want to make an impact with your life, if you want to influence others in life, you have to pass what I call the integrity test. And you have to repeatedly come up against things that tempt you and you have to pass the test. In Psalm 105:19, it says, until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. 
I pray that you will pass the integrity test in your life. I remember when I was working for Stanley Steamer, it was a carpet cleaning company, and we were working jobs, we'd go into people's houses, clean their carpets, and just go on to the next house. And I remember my buddy, who was kind of in charge of me at the time, we were running a van, and he talked to a guy on the side, and he said he made a little backhanded deal, behind the scenes deal, with this guy just to clean one room of his house. And I didn't think much of it, I wasn't thinking at the time, and so we went and did that, and the guy just paid us cash, and it didn't get put into the system. And the guy handed me, the guy I was working with, handed me $20. And I didn't think much of it, because I'm like, okay, because they give, people give tips to us all the time. And so I kind of justified it in my mind that day. But later that night, I remember God said, hey, that was wrong. That $20 does not belong to you. It belongs to Stanley Steamer, carpet cleaning. And I remember thinking... Oh, God, don't make me do this. Don't make me go back to my boss and tell him what happened. But I did. I, I took the $20, I put it on his desk, and I, I told him exactly what happened. And I was terrified, even though it wasn't the best job in the world, so if I lost it, you know. But still, it was an integrity test that I had to pass. And I believe if I would have failed that integrity test then, God may not have allowed the impact in my life that I'm having on others now. And so I think you need to pass whatever that test is. Maybe it's not cheating on that test or that paper. Whatever it is, maybe it's, it's actually living the life that you say you're living before others. Maybe it's being open and honest about something you're struggling with. Whatever it is, I wanna encourage you, pass the test. I, I am so glad that tests like that in my life, I've chosen to risk, take a risk on the earthly standpoint but to, to pass the integrity test. Here's a suggested resource. Um, it's called The Making of a Leader by Robert Clinton. And in that, that's where he describes the integrity test. And then Attitudes for Success by Randy Lanthrop. The next essential for living with integrity is be real about your struggles. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Proverbs 28, 13. So a person of integrity is not perfect. They don't even pretend to be perfect. They're able to say, I was wrong. And they're able to be open and honest, not only with God, but with others. They, they're able to say, hey, I am struggling with this. Can you pray for me? So when you really understand who you are in Christ, when you understand that Jesus loves you, you don't have to pretend anymore. You can be freed from that performance trap of trying to impress others. So, a lack of confession actually shows a lack of integrity. I actually worry about people that never confess sin to others more than I do than people that are regularly confessing that they're struggling with sin. Because the truth of the matter is that everyone struggles with sin. And so, I am actually more worried when I see someone that never has any sin to confess. Because it makes me wonder, are they hiding something? So, do you have a friend or do you have a mentor that you can be just real, 100% real, share every single thing that you're struggling with, that no question is off limits. I hope you do, because that'll be essential for your growth in, in integrity over the years. The next way to grow in integrity is to live out of your identity in Christ. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 1 Peter 2, 9. If you are in Christ, you are chosen. God picked you. You are a royal priesthood. I tell Evelyn all the time that she is God's princess. And yes, that's kind of cute and sentimental, but in reality, if you are a royal priesthood, you are part of God's bloodline, you have every blessing of God available to you. You have access to every blessing in Christ. And it says you are now in the light and no longer in the darkness. So you were rescued out of the darkness and brought into God's marvelous light. And so that is something to celebrate. You no longer have to hide in shame. You no longer have to pretend you're something you're not because you are completely known by God and you are also completely loved by God. God knows every single thing about you, even the deepest, darkest secrets. But God, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we just celebrated this, celebrated this on Easter, He washed you clean by the blood of Christ you can be set free from the chains that hold you down. And you are a saint. It says you are a saint. You are set apart. You are holy in Christ. So when you remind yourself of who you are in Christ, that takes all the pressure off. That takes the pressure off to perform in front of others. It takes the pressure off to hide your sin because God loves you completely. Every secret sin, every insecurity, He loves you so much. He is for you. Living with integrity flows out of understanding your identity. So I want to encourage you to study what God's Word says about you. If you've become a follower of Christ, God loves you so much. He is for you, and He has cleansed you. You do not need to hide. So we can rejoice in the Gospel. Actually, reflecting and rejoicing and preaching the Gospel to ourselves is a way for us to actually grow in our holiness. When we realize how much God loves us, that helps us to honor and respect and actually follow His commands. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this is why Christians make such a big deal about Easter. is because God didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up. He came down and died so that He could clean us. He could make us new. Jesus died so that we could live. Jesus was rejected so that we could be accepted. Jesus rose from the dead so that we can live above fear and shame. Can I get another virtual amen? Jesus knows you completely, and he loves you deeply. If, you, if you've never given your life to Christ, I want to encourage you, why not tonight? Why not understand, please understand that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross in your place for your sin. And then he rose, Jesus rose from the dead, and now he's offering you complete forgiveness and a fresh start. And so, yes, we want to fear God and respect God, but we can experience the love of God in our lives. And you can grow in integrity. You can grow in your character and your holiness. But that only comes from a deeper understanding of the gospel and of who Jesus is. This is not about self-perfecting and, and pulling yourselves up by your own bootstraps. This is not about 
trying just to get better, be a better person, be a better Christian. This is about allowing Christ's Spirit to transform your heart through the gospel and through studying and understanding your identity in Christ. And so the gospel is what transforms us. Jesus is what transforms us. He's the one that gives us integrity. It's not our own merits and our own ability to try to get better and better. It's, a, it's all about the gospel. Philippians 2, 12-13 Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Philippians 2, 12-13 So God is the one that works in you, and then you have to work it out. You have to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. So it's, there's two parts. There's God's part, and there's our part. And God works deeply in our lives, causing us to grow and to become people that, of character, people that have integrity. And so I want to encourage you to live out these things. Really learn. It's all about God. It's about your perspective of God, and it's about God changing your heart so that you live as one person with integrity. No matter where you are, no matter who you're around, you are a person of integrity no matter who is looking because you are loved and accepted by Christ. Join me in praying. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for what you did on the cross for us and that we can live to honor you and to glorify you. And then, Lord, I pray that we would fear you and we would respect you and we would honor you and that we would live the kind of lives that, that show you how valuable you are and show others, shows the world how worthy you are. And so I pray that we would live with integrity. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we go, I had a couple more suggested resources. If you didn't have enough books on your list to read, here's a couple more. It's Discipline of Grace by Jerry Bridges. It explains how the gospel motivates us to live in holiness. The next thing, another book I like is Integrity by Henry Cloud. So I want to encourage you, let me know, what is your top takeaway? We hit on a lot of topics, a lot of things. What did God say to you? And write it in, we have a virtual communication card. I want you to click that and follow it and fill it out. Let us know what your top takeaway is. What did God say to you during this time? And then also let us know how we can pray for you. We pray over these every week and we love you and we see God do amazing things as we pray together for things. So please let us know your top takeaway and your prayer requests. And we're looking forward to seeing you at Life Groups and the social event this, this Saturday. So we love you guys and we'll see you soon.